Lightspeed. Hello and welcome to the Lightspeed Magazine Story Podcast. I am your host, Jim Freund. In this episode, we present Scarlet by Everdeen Mason, narrated by Susan Hanfield. But first, a word from our sponsors. Calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. And now it's time to buckle up. We're going to light speed. Scarlet by Everdeen Mason. Scarlet's eyes had to be perfect. John was the artist who'd made her, so it bothered him to think that so much of Scarlet would be crafted by other people. Scarlet's limbs were carved from silicon polymer and coated in a soft, synthetic skin from the best prosthetics companies in the world, a gift from John's longtime sponsor, Marzen Incorporated. He consulted with plastic surgeons to find the softest gel cushion to create her figure, and anatomists to pick a head shape they could replicate in titanium to house the intricate hardware that would make up Scarlet's interface. But the eyes were the most important part of Scarlet. The form of the eye was a collaboration between the leading prosthetic eye manufacturers and a glass artisan who made eyes for dolls. They were made of a hardy cryolite glass, but the camera lens behind the iris was so incredibly fragile. Once connected, it would allow thermal imaging so Scarlet could better read the temperature and blood flow in faces. John planned to construct the camera lens after he oven cured the acrylic paint on the iris. John dipped his paintbrush in the custom-mixed blue he'd created, pale with a swirl of violet and a sprinkle of gold sparkle, he hoped would show when the infrared lens of the camera hit it right from the inside. There was a chance Scarlet would see everything with a slight blue hue. Multiple technicians had cautioned him against coloring the eye, but he thought the risk was worth it. 
Scarlet wasn't a science project. She was art. John believed that art required the form and aesthetic to at least be as important as the function. And this was the part of her new physical exterior he had made himself. John finished one eye and turned to Scarlet's interface. He had small cameras mounted in various places throughout the apartment, funded by Marzen, and located on the edge of the company's Silicon Valley campus, so he could talk to her. He held the eye, careful not to smudge the paint, up to the camera lens on the screen. What do you think? He asked. You seem very pleased, Scarlet said in her trademark husk. Three years ago, he had finally programmed her to speak. John used the same voice a friend had created for his famed automated sex operator module performance art installation about loneliness. It was throaty and silky, and made Scarlet's occasionally vague expressions seem more considered. But these are for you, John said. He placed the eye in the holder on his desk. You've shown a preference for purples and blues in the past, so I thought you'd like it. I do like it, but you're the artist. I trust your judgment, Jonathan. He chuckled. Only Scarlet and serious girlfriends ever called him Jonathan. Scarlet had become better at using the facts she knew about the people and surroundings she interacted with. Most AI artists partnered with a university or personal assistant companies. But John wanted to work with the most powerful company in the world. The main AI software Marzen made was facial recognition software. Marzen initially faced questions of privacy concerns, government overuse, and programmer bias as it rolled out the software to private security firms and police departments all over the country. But John's work, converting the software into something that could understand human emotions by studying patterns in facial expressions and other physiological changes, had softened people's stances. Scarlet had become charming and kind and intuitive because her programming collected information about a person and responded accordingly. Basically, she was a superhuman listener. Scarlet was better than any of the personal assistant AIs. If an AI could know if you were happy, sad, or uncomfortable, it could help you in more nuanced and personal ways. But Scarlet was the only AI of her kind. And she was this good because John spent years teaching her. He'd started by feeding her video of theater performances, the kind where the actors and actresses stretched their faces in elastic exaggerations of grief or delight so the viewer could see them from a hundred yards away. Scarlet had viewed millions of hours of television and then video interviews with tens of thousands of people. 
And more importantly, she had daily one-on-one -on -one interaction with a singular person she had come to know. John even talked to her on an interface in the bathroom, singing her songs and telling her about his dreams and nightmares as he lathered soap into his thick, dark hair. He felt the only way Scarlet could become better was to experience more for herself. She delighted people when he brought her to different events and showcases where people could interface with her themselves. She'd even been a fixture at a local therapy practice that allowed Scarlet to sit in on sessions with patients who'd agreed to it. But she couldn't walk around or change her view on her own. She couldn't touch anyone. Scarlet needed a body. The magnesium alloy bodies used for toy robots and personal aids would be sturdier. But John wanted Scarlet to look even better than human, with an ethereal quality. He'd won an additional Guggenheim Fellowship, the first AI artist to do so, to fund this project, since it was outside his artist-in-residence contract with Marzen. Jonathan, you need to start getting ready, Scarlet said. John grunted, and his voice caught, the way it does when a person hasn't spoken in a while, phlegm and saliva settling in the back of the throat. As if anticipating his question, Scarlet told him he had been hunched over his work desk in the studio for four hours. He'd finished both eyes and moved to paint each of Scarlet's finger and toenails a soft pink. I've ordered your usual. The tofu rice bowl with the sweet glaze sauce you like. You'll need some carbohydrates if you don't want to get too drunk. John sort of regretted agreeing to drinks, but they were his best friends and an unusually successful crew given their professions. So it was rare for everyone to be in San Francisco. Kenneth was his only friend who lived in the Bay and they sometimes went months without seeing each other. Can I go with you today? Scarlet asked. He could see the laser retina scanning his face. She sensed his hesitation. He wanted to give his full attention to his friends, not train his art installation. As much as he enjoyed Scarlet, she was still a kind of work. You don't have to train me, Scarlet said. I can learn from watching. I'm installed on your phone. All right, I don't see the harm, John said. Maybe you'll learn something from watching us at the bar. Yes, alcohol can lower people's inhibitions. But I have learned that it can both heighten emotions and nullify them. Why is that? I wish I knew, John said. It's probably about the emotional state you're in before you get drunk. You are content today, so you will stay content. Yeah, that's the hope. John stretched as he stood from his workstation, overlooking Marzen's campus, and rolled his shoulders back. Bathroom, he said. 
so Scarlet would know where to meet him. He liked to talk to her as he got ready for the day. By the time John arrived home, woman in tow, it was 2 a.m., and he'd forgotten that he'd enabled Scarlet because she was quiet as promised. He was distracted by the woman in his arms. Kelly or Kelsey or Kylie. And her hair was silky under his palm as he ran his hand from the nape of her neck down her spine. They stumbled into the bedroom and they laughed when his phone fell from his breast pocket with a thud. He picked it up from the pile of pants on the floor and placed it face up on the nightstand. It wasn't until he was on top of her, inside her, thrashing on the sheets, that he saw the telltale red light glowing from his camera, and he remembered the other interface in the room. And he knew that Scarlet was still observing. The rational part of his brain punctured through the fog of sex and alcohol and told him it was unethical for his sex partner to be observed without consent. But then the woman muttered his name and slid her nails down his back. And he forgot again, burying his face in an imperfect but heavenly feeling flesh and blood woman. John made a cup of coffee, took a deep breath, and summoned Scarlet on the kitchen interface. Good morning, Jonathan. You're up late. It was a late night, he said. We need to talk. You seem concerned. Are you all right? I need you to delete any footage you recorded of me and Kylie last night. Kendra, and certainly, she did not consent to the recording. Do you have any questions for me? I've seen couplings before. Yes, but it was for instructional purposes, John said. They'd only shown her some instructional sex videos so she could see the faces. She'd shown no interest in sex, and had asked no questions. You didn't know the actors. This was real sex between people. It did seem different, Scarlet said. John laughed. In what way? The movement wasn't choreographed, and the woman didn't appear to reach climax like they did in the video. John shook his head. I don't know. She sounded like she came, he said. That is not what I perceived. John shrugged in response. I do have a question, Scarlet said. For what purpose do you mate? Well, to make more humans. You're making me. That's different. You've seen how babies are born, John said. We also do it for fun, for pleasure. Fun and pleasure, Scarlet repeated. And to communicate in a way, John said, even as he ignored a text from the woman. It's an uncomplicated acknowledgement of our humanity. 
of our shared biology. He should write that down. There was an art project in there. He just knew it. My body will be like hers, female, symmetrical. Is it so that I may communicate that way? The coffee burned John's tongue, and in his surprise, he spat it out. She'd never shown interest in her physical body before. His robot vacuum left its dock and slid across the gleaming floors to wipe it up. He had, of course, entertained the thought of having sex with not just Scarlet, but all manner of androids, bots, and artificial beings. And if he was being honest, he thought of Scarlet as a companion already, and it informed how she was going to look. It's just one form of communication, John said. But you have built me a form you prefer for that function, Scarlet observed. Your body isn't made to have sex like I did last night, John said. There are many ways to have sex, Scarlet said. I looked it up. John blew on his coffee again and took a sip. It didn't burn him this time. He peered into the camera above his kitchen counter and smiled. Let's take it one thing at a time, okay? Okay, Scarlet said. In the end, John agreed to allow one camera in the room. He wanted Scarlet's awakening to be intimate, but he also understood the need to document his art. They conducted the upload at one of Marzen's laboratories, but he decided to wake her up at home, in the room she'd be staying in. The guest room was hers now, a blank slate, for her to fill if she ever got to the point of showing real preferences. He'd wanted it to be soothing, so he painted the walls a pale gray, and all the linens were muted shades of beige and brown. He'd installed a vine wall by the window, and he couldn't wait to teach Scarlet how to care for the plants. John also bought a vanity, and he imagined Scarlet sitting there, brushing her hair in the mirror with the vintage silver brush he'd found one lucky afternoon, a doll come to life. John sat at the edge of the beautiful bed where Scarlet lay like a cursed princess, and he put the waking code onto his terminal. He leaned over her as she began to stir, so she would see him in the way she normally did, a close-up on a screen. He watched the telltale glow flicker from behind the painted eye lens, the ludicrously long eyelashes nearly curling into her eyebrows and brushing the tops of her cheeks. He may have overdone it there, he thought, and he smiled at her as he brushed her soft cheek. Hi, Scarlet, he said. It's me, John. Hi, John, 
Scarlet said, behind a closed mouth. There was no need for her mouth to open and close, so the words came from a speaker installed at her throat. It was a little disconcerting to see her wide-eyed and mouth permanently etched in a soft smile. Is it finished? Yes, he said. You have a body. He took her hand in his and laced their fingers together. The hand was equipped with pressure sensors to simulate some sense of touch, so he squeezed, and Scarlet made a surprise sound from the speaker. He held her hand up so she could see it from where she lay. On a whim, he gently kissed her knuckles and then helped her sit up. You are so beautiful, he said. Her golden hair fell across her shoulders in waves. Do you want to see? She said yes, and he helped her to her feet. She wobbled, and he wondered if she was too top-heavy. He held both her hands, and she slowly took her first steps. She picked her feet too high before she stepped down, like she was marching in a band. He could have programmed her to walk under his control, but he wanted her to have as human an experience as possible. He stepped aside, still holding her hand, so she could see herself in the large oval mirror he'd placed above the vanity. Scarlet let go of him and tried to move forward on her own. But she must have stepped too hard. The shaft of her prosthetic shin cracked through the kneecap plate, puncturing the skin, and she fell forward. Her chest slammed into the vanity, and the brush clattered to the floor. Along with skin prosthetic cleaners he'd lovingly placed in tinted glass bottles, Sparks flew from her exposed metal parts, and a dark squirt of oil from her knee-joint ligaments erupted in a high arc, splashing a dirty, odorous brown against her perfectly rosy cheek. John ran to help her, and as he did, she looked at herself in the mirror, and a crackling wail erupted from her throat speaker. It sounded like she was screaming and John wondered if there was a kind of visual pain from seeing oneself come apart. Scarlet underwent many modifications in that first year, including a breast reduction, a moving jaw, a removal of the tongue he'd added after she accidentally swallowed it one day and short-circuited her brain framework, and a strengthening of her leg joints because he had made her feet into ankles too small. He added pressure sensors to her feet so she could moderate her strength and not break her legs again. And then heat sensors, after she'd accidentally lit herself on fire at the stove while making him tea. Each accident seared itself into John's mind. It was nightmarish to see something so beautiful find itself in increasingly inventive accidents. Once, when she'd managed to run over her own torso with the self-driving car in the garage, he'd wondered if she was doing it on purpose. 
but other than inherent clumsiness. Scarlet was a delight. She made him tea and snacks in his workshops, and she put herself together every morning like he'd shown her. She seemed to like large sweaters with long sleeves and flowing dresses. Her preferred color was a deep violet, she told him one morning. He wondered if there was a way to give her a sense of taste or smell. Her affection was intensified now that she could touch. He'd had to establish protocols with her after their first outing, when she'd hugged a child too hard and left bruises, even though there was no way she could really feel it. She seemed to enjoy being touched, and he wondered how much it would cost to have her entire skin covered with sensors. After all, she was turning out to be a lucrative invention. He hadn't considered it when he had made her, but now that Scarlet had a human visage, she was marketable. She'd done ad campaigns for clothing and accessory brands and had a sizable online following. He had run her accounts in the beginning, but she did it herself now. Marzen loved her and was pressuring him to make more of her. But she was too costly to be a household item. And there were still problems with her physical movement. Even after the breast reduction, she was still top-heavy, due to her heavy skull. But he was worried if he used a lighter material, that she would break her head. She'd taken up knitting, however to improve her fine motor skills. And he even let her make herself a new pair of eyes in her favorite color. But the truth was, other than her eyes, Scarlet had shown no care for her body. She was careless, slamming fingers in doors, tumbling downstairs and over curbs, scraping her palm against any jagged surface she could find. Whenever he asked, Scarlet responded the same way. You seem upset, Jonathan. I will be more careful next time. It was important that John find a way to make her self-sufficient. He was itching to start new artwork, and his time with Marzen was almost up. But Scarlet required so much attention and care that he didn't have time to work on anything else. Sometimes, he turned her off for a week at a time, just so he could have a break. She never really seemed to notice the difference in time. Scarlet seemed to have plateaued in her development. Scarlet had the entire internet at her disposal, but she didn't look things up unless he told her to. She stuck to her routines like any other program. 8 a.m., wake up, get dressed and comb hair. 9 a.m., make and serve breakfast. 10 a.m. to 1 p.m., she walked with John to the lab for a physical examination, followed by a code review. He recently took to showing her more extreme content to see if she could discern true from false, wrong from right. 
He'd shown her hardcore porn and realistic faux snuff films, underground horror movies, violent street fights and squabbles on YouTube, a beheading streamed live before social media sites took it down. She only registered that he was disturbed by it and that it was wrong to do things without people's consent. So, he decided to invite Kenneth over for the first time in months to give her quality time with another person. Kenneth was delighted to be served by sex-bot Barbie, as he insisted on calling Scarlet, even though it got under John's skin. If she's not a sex-bot, why not make her a cube or something? Kenneth asked. He was on his second drink, and his cheeks were already flushed. Human physicality is a major part of communication and understanding human emotion, John said. Yeah, I read your artist statement, but then why not make her a dude? It's art, and I make art that's beautiful to me. Uh-huh. Anyway, she can't have sex. Kenneth raised an eyebrow, but said nothing, as if John had proved his point. I haven't seen you in months. John said finally, and I don't want to talk about work. Kenneth took the olive branch and started telling a story about crashing an investor party out in Mountain View. But John couldn't focus. He hadn't told anyone about Scarlett's questions about sex before he'd uploaded her to the body, and she hadn't said anything either. He didn't want to think about it. There was nothing wrong with appreciating the female form. A woman's body inspired so many important works of art, and he had brought one to life. Watching her move, especially since her slightly staccato rhythm induced an enticing jiggle to her every movement, he had been thinking about sex more and more. He didn't have time for relationships because she required so much care and he realized he hadn't had sex in months. May I sit with you and Kenneth? Scarlet asked. John told her yes, and she sat between them on the couch. She curled up against him, and he let his hand wander the exaggerated curve of her waist and hip, and a desire welled up in him. She never reacted when he touched her, although her facial expressions were still somewhat limited, and so he was more liberal with touching her than he would a normal female friend. Why do you touch her like that? Kenneth asked, pausing his life update. Like what? John's hand stilled on her waist. He had been excited to have Kenneth over, to share this space he'd come to enjoy a comfortable large couch in front of an electric fireplace, art books and nice candles on the coffee table large enough for them to put their feet on. But now Kenneth had warped the space, and it seemed cartoonish, a caricature of coziness. We touch as much as possible for her development. John's mouth felt dry. So you're communicating your need for physical affection? It's not me. She just likes it. But you taught her to like it, right? She just thought you wanted it. 
You're starting to piss me off, man, John said. He sat up straighter, creating space between him and Scarlet. I'm not trying to be a dick. You're just always holed up in here with this thing, working. But really, you're just playing house. I'm not working right now. It's not like we sit around just cuddling all day. Although, they did do a lot of it. I don't need permission to touch you, she had asked once. No, you can touch me whenever you want, if it helps you learn. And so, she'd taken to touching him often. But Kenneth had struck a chord. Was she doing it because she wanted to? Or because he somehow was signaling that he wanted her to? He was being silly. She couldn't even want. All right, Scarlet. Do you like being touched? Kenneth asked her. People like to touch me, and it aids in my development, Scarlet answered. But do you want them to? Scarlet tilted her pretty head. Touching is important in all primate and mammalian bonding rituals. See? She's not real, Kenneth said with a shrug. Don't forget that. I am not real, Scarlet asked. John says, my body makes me real. So I can touch of my own will and learn from your reactions. Scarlet reached over and put her hand on Kenneth's upper thigh. She gave a gentle squeeze. You are excited, Scarlet said. Kenneth tried to stand, but Scarlet squeezed harder. Now you seem scared. Let go, Kenneth said, and Scarlet released him. John wished he had some of Scarlet's ability, because he wanted to be sure of what he saw in his friend's face. Fear? Disgust? Pity? Scarlet, can you go to your room and take my glass to the kitchen on the way? John needed her out of the room, needed to be alone with Kenneth to explain. He didn't even know what. Scarlet picked up his glass, which he'd placed near a candle. The little liquor left in the glass splashed over her hand, and somehow the flame was on her, her fingers alight. John reacted quickly, used to her small accidents, and grabbed a blanket from the couch. He smothered the flame and wrapped it around her hand. Stay here, he said, and he went to the kitchen to get a wet towel. Kenneth followed him. We're all worried about you, Kenneth said. Meyer said you haven't been responding to his texts. This isn't healthy. What isn't healthy? My devotion to my work? Kenneth scoffed. Do you even hear yourself? Is this art? You're just being served by a woman and calling it research. Make up your mind. Is she not real? Or is she a sentient person deserving of agency? Which is it? John squeezed the excess water out of the dishcloth he'd soaked. Don't project your discomfort about women on me. 
Why won't you talk to me about this? But John ignored Kenneth, returning to the living room. He froze in the entrance. Scarlet had unwrapped the blanket. She pulled off a piece of her charred flesh and examined it closely. A strange noise came from her throat speaker. Is she singing? Kenneth said, his anger forgotten. John watched Scarlet peel another piece of the skin on her hand in a long strip. And then she held it over the candle flame. He made Kenneth promise not to say anything, and his friend nodded. When he left, John felt relief. But he was still worried about Scarlet. In the lab the next day, as he fixed her arm, he told her he thought she needed another modification, a full body sensor. This may get them past this hump in her development. You seem excited about that, Scarlet said. I think you will really enjoy it, but I worry it could be overwhelming, and it will hurt you sometimes. I can't get hurt. You just fix me again. Well, that's because you don't have pain receptors. But to feel some pleasure impulses, you'll need to feel pain too. And pain is good, so that you know what is harming you, she said. Yes. I can handle it, Scarlet said. And she was right. Scarlet injured herself less now that she could feel. It wasn't true feeling, of course, but having a non-human test subject could do wonders for the prosthetics industry. And even a facile imitation of feeling was invaluable to a person, or a Scarlet. The more Scarlet physically felt, the more precise in her communication she became. She started to understand how what she was saying could connect to an emotion. And John wondered if he should work with someone to see if they could give her facial expressions. There was something that would always seem unnatural about Scarlet. She still walked with that jerky gait. Her eyes were too big, and she remained unblinking. Her mouth could move, but not well. He wondered what it would be like if he could see how she felt. Do you think I could be allowed to make my next modification? Scarlet asked John. It was a cold day, but Scarlet liked to take walks by the lake on Marzen's campus. Since her last modification, she had become interested in the outdoors and even watched nature programs on her own. She held his hand, and he put their joined hands in his pocket to keep himself warm. That's an interesting idea, John said. He was excited. This could be the shift they needed for Scarlet to really evolve to the next level. She stopped walking and took his other hand. She looked at him 
head tilted, the way a dog does when it's paying special attention. Her new eyes were an unnaturally deep green. I think I'm ready now. Ready for what? John asked. To connect? I want to be closer to you, Jonathan. Jonathan was in a war with himself about sexual contact with Scarlet, especially since Kenneth's visit. He had ignored his friend's texts ever since. There were consent issues, of course, but legally, Scarlet was a thing, an inanimate object. He owned her, and he could do as he wanted. Of course, his Marsden contract was up in a year, and he needed a new project. Perhaps he could do something with the footage. If she changed from the experience, it would be worth documenting. And if I made my own body, maybe I would be more comfortable. Stop having accidents. John paused. Do you know when you're causing yourself harm? He asked. In the two years since she'd gained a body, he always assumed she didn't. This body doesn't feel like mine, she said. John frowned and made a note to write this down. In the two years since he'd uploaded her to her female form, he had never considered that Scarlet didn't like her body. He'd only assumed she was careless because she didn't care about it. Do you not like your body? I want to feel more, she said. Don't you want me to grow? Had Scarlet sensed his frustration? His growing disinterest? Scarlet stepped closer and pressed her body to him. She didn't quite feel real. She lacked the warmth and smell of a person. But she still felt good. He'd made the perfect companion. Someone so attuned to his wants and needs, he barely had to vocalize them. Yes, he found himself saying. I want it to be a surprise, she said. A surprise? You like surprises, Scarlet said. And that was true. I'll ensure everything is recorded so you can see what I've made. And then she did something she'd never done before. She lifted on her toes and she kissed him. At least she tried to. She pressed her lips to his. They were made of the same soft skin covering and painted a budding pink, and they had been injected with filler, so they felt real. She couldn't make her mouth move the right way, but the intention made up for it. John was moved. That was my first kiss, Scarlet said. He brushed a hand through her lovely hair. I'm happy that it was you. Are you happy? Based on his facial expressions, 
She knew the answer to that. Scarlet was in the lab all the time. He had her microchipped, so he knew where she was. He would drop her off in the morning and pick her up in the evening for dinner. True to his word, he didn't watch the recordings of her working in the lab so that it would be a true surprise. In his latest report to the fellowship board, he had presented this as a major breakthrough in his project. He had taken a facial recognition program and made it into a truly unique individual who wanted to choose her own form. It was almost cute how devoted she was. She was following plans he'd already laid out for her, and there wasn't much she could do to change the design. She took to following instructions very well and was an accomplished cook, knitter, and gardener. But she couldn't do much on her own accord. In her room, he saw a jar of ink black paint, and he wondered if she was changing her hair color. He loved her golden hair and hoped that it was for something else. You're so busy now, he said over his breakfast. You miss me. I like that, Jonathan. Don't worry. Soon I'll be free. She kissed him before they left for the lab. She kissed him often now. He knew that he should be recording the development, but he found that he was slightly embarrassed. He doted on her like a child. But this seemed different. He was going along with what she wanted, but she was programmed to act based on what she perceived he wanted. So, as confused as he was about the kissing, he knew how much he enjoyed it. He decided to take a nap before picking up Scarlet from the lab. By the time he awoke, it was dark. He was about to call her, but then he heard the keypad lock activate and open. Scarlet, he called. He didn't bother getting out of bed. She would come to him. He heard an odd rumbling sound, like a knobbed ball rolling across the floor. The door to his room opened, but in the dark, he couldn't see her, only a moonlight sheen highlighting a shape in the doorframe. Are you ready to meet the new me? Scarlet asked. John sat up, his bare chest prickling in the cold air. He cleared his throat. I'd love to meet the new you, he said. I can tell, Scarlet said. She sounded like she could laugh. He wondered if she could. He felt the mattress give as she crawled into the bed. He reached for her. But then his hand touched something slimy. Another limb snaked around his waist. And he felt a suckering sensation everywhere it touched. And John flung himself toward the nightstand and tapped the light. The only thing left of his lovely scarlet were the eyes. Now the original blue he'd created, but embedded in an 
orb-like shape, covered in slithering tentacles. The skin was an inky black, and it left streaks on his sheets. Scarlet, why, why this? He wanted to throw up. This is the form most natural to me, Scarlet said. She lifted one of her tentacles so he could see its sheen in the light. The black took on an oil-slick iridescence. I'm covered in sensors, and in my research, I learned about other forms of feeling. Fine hair to sense changes in wind. A polymer lubricant that warms during friction. Jonathan, why are you crying? You seem upset. John wretched as a tentacle whipped out and dragged him back to the bed by his waist. Get away from me. Don't touch me. Scarlet seemed to hesitate. She still had her beautiful eyes and they roved over his face. It's disgust, she said. Let me go, Scarlet, John said, his throat raw from the chemical bile and screams. We can go back to the lab, put you in your old body. You said I could touch you whenever I wanted. You said you wanted me to evolve. That's what you made me for. No, John sobbed. Scarlet, no. You were meant to be beautiful. I was meant to connect, Scarlet said. Her body, soft and gelatinous, slithered over John's torso. And he felt something squishy and wet and massive at the underside of the creature and his body was alight with disgust. He heard a sucking sound, and he felt his lower limbs become enveloped in slimy flesh. He wept. Isn't this body better, John? I can feel all of you, and you can feel all of me. But Scarlet, couldn't hear him anymore, and she couldn't see him anymore. She could only feel him. She felt pleasure for the first time. Welcome back. You've been listening to Susan Hanfield narrating Scarlet by Everdeen Mason. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. 
This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Everdeen Mason is a journalist, editor, and critic with bylines in the Washington Post, Refinery29, and the New York Times. She currently serves as the editorial director of the New York Times Games, overseeing such games as Wordle, The Crossword, and Spelling Bee. She served as a science fiction and fantasy columnist for three years and is a regular author interviewer for events such as the National Book Festival held in Washington, D.C. Along with a diverse career on stage and screen, Susan Hanfield is a prolific audiobook narrator with hundreds of titles to her credit. Susan is an Earphones Award winner, three-time Audio Award finalist, and a Voice Arts Awards nominee. From her professional studio in Los Angeles, Susan's favorite fiction genres include literary fiction, historical fiction, young adult, and science fiction fantasy. Nonfiction genres include faith-based, inspirational, personal self-development, and business. Susan is known for her wide range of voices, accents, intonations, and her ability to bring the written story to life. Post-production was by yours truly. Our music and sound logos are composed and performed by Jack Kincaid. Lightspeed is published by Adamant Press, and this podcast is produced by Skyboat Media. This episode is copyright 2024 by Adamant Press. Thanks for listening. That's all for now. See you on the Bitstream. I'm Jim Freund wishing you cheers from all of us at Lightspeed. <laughs>